0: Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's word and get more out of the word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Saturday, January 23rd, 2021. Last Easter, we talked about the topic of contentment from Psalm 16. And one thing we talked about is what happens if you go to Google and you do an image search for contentment? Well, what you're going to see is a lot of people kind of sitting at the end of a dock overlooking some very glassy lake with probably some mountains or a forest or maybe both in the distance, right? That is literally the picture of contentment that you get if you go looking for one. And you'll see different images like that, you know, very serene nature pictures, and none of them are of, you know, a desert, Uh, none of them are of, you know, empty shelves in the grocery store. And uh, another picture that you will not find if you Google contentment is somebody getting stoned to death. And we want to look at contentment today and realize our culture has it all wrong because basically what the pictures will tell you is that our culture thinks contentment is about circumstances. But the Bible is going to remind us that contentment is really about something else entirely. And so let's go look even at this image of someone being stoned to death as we look at Stephen, the first martyr of the early church in Acts seven forty-four to 60. And as we look at that, we remember that uh, Stephen has been giving a long talk, really a sermon on the history of Israel. And really what he's trying to show is how repeatedly throughout their history, they have been rebellious. They have been hard hearted. And he gets to the punchline to basically point out that has not changed. And you are still that way. In verse 51, Stephen says, you stiff necked people. Uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels did not keep it. So he says, your forefathers, they persecuted the prophets and now you have killed the Messiah. He is trying to convict them and help them to see their hard heartedness so that they might turn from it and repent. But that is not how they respond. We've seen that happen in Acts. We've seen people turn and repent and put their faith in Christ. That is not how they respond to this sermon. In verse 54, now when those who heard these, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Wow. that I mean, real picture of maturity there, right? Like literally they're stopping their ears so they can't hear what he is saying about God. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. I think in some ways, this is as much of a picture of contentment as you can have with somebody who is literally being killed. While The crowd is angry, gnashing their teeth, it says, stopping their ears. He is gazing into heaven. And it makes me think of what we saw earlier in this chapter, where it describes his face as he is on trial. His face was like the face of an angel. That's the end of chapter 6. And now he's staring into heaven, seeing this vision of God and of Christ at his right hand. And even as he dies, very calm asking God to receive his spirit, praying really for the forgiveness of those who are committing uh, this sin against him, a prayer which we should say will be fulfilled, at least for Saul, this young man where they're putting the garments who will be saved and turn into an evangelist himself. But here in this moment, Stephen is not freaking out that his life is over. He is calmly lifting up his soul to Jesus. And now I want to ask, how in the world is that possible? How do we see this picture of contentment here for a man who is being martyred? Um, how, How does somebody get to that point? And now let's go back to that passage that we did look at about contentment last Easter, Psalm 16, where today we'll look at verses one through four. I might even push it a little bit and comment on verse five and six. But look at these first two verses it says, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. That seems like a prayer that would work for a martyr or somebody being persecuted, asking God to protect them and taking refuge in God. But look at what he says now in verse two. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. I think that right there is such a The key to contentment when we really go all in on really putting all of our hopes and all of our desires and they're focused on God. Listen again, he says to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. In other words, he's looking at God and he's saying, You are all that I want. And I think that is the first step of contentment because when we look at God and say, God, You are all that I want. We find that that leads us on a path towards actually getting what we want because God offers himself to us through the gospel and his steadfast love and his His goodness and mercy, right? He offers us all of these things. So if he is what we are seeking, he will be found. Our soul will find its desire. You are my Lord. I have no good apart from from you. And again, look at how he puts this in verse five, which we'll read uh, on Monday, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. God, I'm putting all of my investments into this. I'm not diversifying God. I'm all in on you. And then you can say the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I think that's how a martyr can face death or Christians can even face persecution uh, because they know they cannot take the thing that I want most. They cannot take the thing that is everything to me. Because when we say to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. They can take away your job. They can take away your house. You can lose your health. They can even take away your life, but they can't take away that thing that is most precious to you. And that is the Lord himself. And so I think this is a good reminder to us to check where are our desires, When we are focused on the Lord, we will find contentment is much easier to get our hands on because when we seek the Lord, he will be found. But when our contentment starts getting tied up in relationships or circumstances or finances, any of those things, our contentment will become as stormy as the sea. But when we are stayed upon the Lord and he is what we are longing for, he is what we are seeking above anything else, our hearts will be kind of like that glassy lake that you'll see in those images on Google. So we want to set our hearts on God this weekend. And I think it's good for us when we are feeling discontent to identify what is it that I'm being tempted to set my heart on. And we want to be clear that the Bible doesn't, paint this picture of just ease and everything's all good all the time. Even this psalm is written by David who knew many sufferings. And even here, it seems that there is some kind of distress because this psalm really of contentment starts as a prayer for help and a prayer for refuge. So we need to realize that it, let's set our expectations correctly. Um, that that just, This does not mean that life will be easy. Uh, life will often be very hard, but we can have contentment through all of that, when really at the center of our desires, what we are setting our hope on is God himself. And and this is important because without setting our hope on God, we will not be able to obey the commands of Jesus. And we're going to see that in Matthew 8, 14 to 20 through to 22. And here we see, um, Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law, but then we see some very interesting words as people come to, to Jesus. And it says a scribe comes up to him. This is verse 19. And he says, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. So here you see two people really that have an interest in following Jesus, but they're not ready to go all in, right? They're not ready to say like David, you know, you are my good, God. All of my good is found in you. You are everything that I want, right? Are they willing to, to give up the comfort of Life Are they willing to, uh, you know, even leave family when that is um, what is required of them? Are, are they willing to to leave everything behind to follow Jesus? And it seems kind of the implication we get when we look at other spots in the gospel like this, often for people, the answer is no. People are not willing to say, God, you are my God. I have no good apart from you. And, and so we realize even that path towards contentment involves a lot of sacrifice Because we have to let go of many other things to say, God, really, all I want is you. I have no good apart from you. And I might need to leave comfort behind to really pursue that desire. I might have to leave other things behind, but God, I know it will be worth it. I know that if I say that you are my portion, you are my cup, I will also be able to say that the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I will be able even to stare death in the face with calm and with contentment, because I know that even death cannot separate me from the God that I love. Finally today, we look at Genesis 46 and 47. And here we get to see some somewhat of a happy ending and some happy reunions as Joseph is finally reunited with his father. We we see their, their tearful greeting and just the excitement that they have to be back together. And really, we need to see this, what we see today in chapters 46 and 47 of Jacob bringing his family down to Egypt. We need to see this As a part of this bigger picture of what God is doing, and remember, this has already been foretold, this has already been promised, uh, that the people will be in another land for 400 years. And and this is the beginning of that. At this point, this large family, this clan, really represents this future nation of Israel. And again, through all these misfortunes that happened to Joseph, everything is going according to God's plan, because now this young... uh, tiny nation of Israel has now moved to Egypt where they will remain for 400 years. And then God is going to bring them out just like he promised and bring them back to the promised land. So we've looked at some of the personal elements of that and how God even used these trials in Joseph's life to shape him and to even provide for his family. But today we kind of step back and see, wow, God is actually using this to accomplish his much bigger purposes really of building this nation that he has promised, this nation from which will ultimately become the Messiah, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.